Turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians, since that is where all of your notes will come from. A carnal Christian is one that is not persevering in the faith. You often hear people say, well, if you're really saved, you will persevere in the faith. This is a whole book on people who were not persevering in the faith. Therefore, it is a detriment to the teaching of Calvinism, but the book is in the Bible. There are really two groups of people in the world, and some people classify it this way. Those who can believe, and those who can't believe. They say the only ones who can believe are the ones that God wants to believe, and the rest of them can't believe, so there's no hope for them. And that God does not love everybody. So you mainly have two groups of people, what we call Calvinism and Arminianism. Arminian means you can be saved, but lose it. Calvinism believes you can get saved, and you can't lose it. Because your persevering the faith is the proof that you are really of genuine faith. So one believes you can get saved and lose it, and the other one believes you can get saved and you can't lose it. So people automatically say, well, then I must be a Calvinist because I believe in eternal security. Not so fast. They believe that if you are saved, you will live it. And if you don't live it, that means you're not really saved. So there must be another explanation. And there is. There is a group of people who can trust Christ as Savior, have eternal life, and actually go to heaven and never live it. This book is about those people. It's about people who are in between. They can't get saved and lose their salvation. Because, you see, those who believe you can lose it is because you did something bad. And those who believe you can keep it is because they did something good. So whether it's something bad or something good that you look at should not determine your salvation. It should be determined by what did Jesus say? What did he really do? So I want you to look at this in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just to identify that there are such a thing as a carnal Christian. They are believers, but they're carnal. Carnal means fleshly minded. Carnal means living like a lost man. Living like the natural man. And that is explained here in chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, so we already know he's talking to brethren, those that are believers in Jesus Christ, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. So there were brethren, but not spiritual. Brethren in the Lord, saved, but they're not spiritually minded. He says, but as unto carnal, as unto babes in Christ. In other words, you're like babes in Christ, but you're carnal. And, verse 2, I have fed you with milk, not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. If they were supposed to be able, and they're not, it's a sign they were not growing. They were not maturing in the Lord. They were not growing in grace. 
saved but not growing. Now, some people teach that you can be saved, but if you don't grow, that's a sign you're not saved. This scripture alone refutes the teaching of Calvinism. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, I want you to see this. Where it makes a statement in verse 12 of chapter 2. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual means. In verse 14, but the natural man, the lost man, the man that does not have the Holy Spirit of God, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. These things that God has for us are discerned spiritually. It means the Holy Spirit living within you must teach you what the Word of God says and explain things, and He is your teacher. But there's people that do not obey the Lord and do not study the Word, so they do not feed upon the Word, and so they do not grow. And if they do not grow, they will be a babe in Christ. They never mature. Saved, but immature. Saved, but a babe. Now, there are people who teach that this classification of people do not exist. You're either obedient or you're not saved at all. See, they're obedience or not saved. Both of them teach that. No obedience, not saved. But the Bible says that you can be saved and disobedient. Now, this book explains some of those problems these people were having Saved, but disobedient. Carnally minded. Living like lost people. Even though they went to church, they were not right with God. And they didn't study like they should, and their lives were not as a Christian should be. Look there in verse 3. They were living according to the flesh, according to the old nature. Ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, well, that would be a dead giveaway. These people were not persevering in the faith. Therefore, they must not be saved. But what does the Bible say? They are brethren, they're babes in Christ, they're carnally minded and walking as lost men, living like a lost man. And so he says, are you not carnal and walk as men? Walk as the natural man that he talked about just in the previous chapter. Like the Holy Spirit has no effect upon your life. So can you be saved and live like a lost man? Yes, you can. And any preacher who denies that cannot adequately teach you the truth of the Scriptures. And they have to have add-ons to the gospel to make you think if you're really saved, you're not going to live that way. You can be saved and not live right. So how do you deal with the problem? I'll show you that. I knew you wanted to know. Now look in chapter 4. And you look there at number 3 in your notes. They were sitting in judgment of those that were more spiritual than they were. Here's these carnal Christians sitting in judgment against people like Paul, 
and Peter. Look what he says here in these verses. Look in verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby therefore justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. I am going to be judged by the Lord someday. Your judgment may be right. Your judgment may be wrong. I'm not to stand in judgment on you. The one day we will stand before the Lord. And here were carnal people judging these others. And God says, are you not carnal and walk as men? So they were turning people against the apostle Paul. This was going on. So later on, Paul has to defend himself of why he did what he did. But there's a lot of things in these scriptures that are so important. Because in our own life, as we live our life, there are times when we may not say and do the right thing, and we have a little flesh showing. I preached a sermon one time called, Your Flesh is Showing. What I meant by that is, your own nature is showing. Now, do you ever have your own nature show? Anybody ever seen your own nature? That means you're not dressed correctly. It means you may be walking out and meeting people and you don't have your clothes on. You're naked. You're in the flesh. It means you're not clothed with the clothes that God has for you. So it's um, interesting anyway. Now look there in verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, then shall every man have praise of God. The day is coming when we're going to all stand before the Lord and the righteous judge, the Lord himself, who never makes mistakes, knows everything, knows all truth, is going to judge us. Or haven't you ever heard of the judgment seat of Christ? You ever heard of that? That's where God is going to weigh what we've done. And we're going to be blessed with rewards that we've earned, or we're going to suffer the loss. And so this is what he uses to try to challenge these people to serve the Lord. So he tells them, look, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ one of these days. So chapter 3 talks about this. So look in verse 12 of chapter 3. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, you are saved, and one day you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And God is going to judge your works. And whether or not it's gold and silver and precious stones by which God will reward you for, or wood, hay, and stubble by which you will lose it all. But he himself... If you'll notice there in verse 15, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be what? He's still saved, but he's wasted his life. So is that taught in the Bible or not? How can God tell a child of God, you can have hay, wood, and stubble at the judgment seat of Christ? If you do those things, some say you can't even appear there. Because at the sign, if you have hay, wood, and stubble, you did not persevere in the faith. So how is God going to judge you at the judgment of Christ, which is only for believers? 
There is so much error in their teaching. They have to mutilate the scriptures. But when you come here and you get a Bible and you look at these things and verse by verse by verse, we try to walk you through the scriptures so that you can see and understand what's going on in your own life. I am not telling people who's saved and I'm not telling people who's lost. I want to just teach the book and say, now if God says, if you trust Christ as Savior, God says you're saved. I don't tell people they're saved. I say, God says. And if you are rebellious to the Lord, I want to teach the Bible in such a way, you'll be able to detect it. True? Don't you want that? If you're not right with God, don't you want to have something by which you can discern, I am not right with God. And I want God to reveal it. So we try to teach the Word of God in such a way that a child of God can know, hey, I'm not growing as I ought to. I'm not walking the Lord as I ought to. These things are so important. Look at number four in your notes there. And you'll notice that the Bible talks about us being puffed up. The Bible says, knowledge puffeth up. Love edifies. Knowledge puffs up. And anyone can gain knowledge. But transfer that knowledge into experience and you'll have some wisdom. Wisdom is applying the knowledge to life. And a lot of people are not very wise because of the decisions they make in their life. So you'll notice here in chapter 4 and verse 6, and these things, brethren, brethren, still talking to believers, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So God does not want us lifting up and putting down. God will take care of that. We're God's servants. And God is going to either bless you or chasten you because of your walk with God. And if you're not walking close to the Lord, God knows that, and He may put you on a shelf. And God may exalt you. And then God may have time where He needs to not humiliate you, but humble you where you'll learn some things from the Lord. Look at the next scripture I want you to see here. In chapter 5, a verse that I wish was not in the Bible. I wish a couple of these verses were not even here. But lo and behold, here they are. If you call this persevering in the faith, uh, we got a serious problem. But they say, well, if you're really saved, you're not going to do these things. But they did these things. Look in verse 1. It is reported. See that word commonly? Commonly. That there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, a believer, a child of God, having his father's wife, his mother or her stepmother, whatever it is, it's not pretty, and it's not nice, it's not good, this is wicked. Evidently, this person is not walking in the Lord. Uh, this person must be a carnal Christian. He's fleshly minded. And he's walking after the, the lust and the desires of the flesh. Wouldn't you say? If you say, well, he's not really saved, you've got a serious problem. Because the Bible says he is. So evidently, perseverance in the faith is not a guarantee. It would be great if all of God's children would just naturally serve God, but they don't. They have an old sinful nature. And some of God's children do wrong. Did David in the Bible 
a man after God's own heart? Did he make any bad decisions? Almost everybody knows what he did, didn't they? Would you like everybody to know what you did? What if I pulled that screen down here and showed everybody what you've been doing for the last four or five years? Even what you thought about. There wouldn't be nobody in here to sit. Because everybody would be leaving. And I would go through that door right there. He said, there's no door right there. There will be. <laughs> so I'm so glad to know that the Bible says, even though you are, you're saved, you've trusted Christ as Savior, and you're not serving God, you're still His child. Otherwise, why would God chasten His children if all of His children were guaranteed to walk right? If it was a guarantee you'll persevere in the faith, well, then where's the chastening from? automatically they will do right, but they don't do right. And the whole teaching of Calvinism is wrong, is wicked teaching, and does a lot of damage. And you'd be surprised how many churches are teaching what I'm telling you right now. And they preach it every Sunday morning. Well, if you're saved, you're not going to want to do that. That's a lie. God did not save that old sinful nature. He gave you a new birth. He didn't change the old one. He gave you a new birth. Many people think that God's just changing this old man. No, God's not changing that old man. He gave you a new man, separate from the other one. And you can walk in the flesh just like everybody else can. It's not good, but it's in the Bible. So here's somebody that's messing up. In verse 2, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So is it wrong? It's wrong. He said, let's pray that God will take him home. Pray God will take him home. Or the man get right. Now that's, that's good church discipline, isn't it? God take him home or he get right. Well, in 2 Corinthians, when you read it, he got right. The man got right. And God says, now, don't make it harder on him than it needs you. Learn to forgive him. So... A man was wrong, and the people prayed, and God still saved him. He was still saved. He did some things wrong in his life. And so he says here in verse 5, To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Some are dead. Now, you'll notice when we come to the 11th chapter, when the Bible talks about, for this cause many are Weak, some are sick, and many are dead. Some are sick and weak and dead. Now, it's not just because of the Lord's Supper. It's because as a carnal Christian, many are sick and weak and dead. Not just because they didn't take the Lord's Supper correctly, but the whole book is about showing why some are weak. And he talks about those Christians that are weak in the Lord. And those that know better cause others, weak Christians, to stumble. And why are they stumbling? Because there's so many of God's children walking in the flesh, living like lost people. And they're a detriment to God's children. Because they ought to know more, know better, and walk better. And they're not doing so. So God has a way he can chastise and take them home. And you have no idea the thing that God is doing and working in people's lives. 
You cannot live as you please and get away with it. Sin has consequences, even in the believer's life. And it's very, very important. Look at uh, number 7 here in chapter 6. Look in chapter 6. And you'll notice in verse 1, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world, and if the world shall be judged by you? Are you unworthy to judge the smallest of matters? You can't settle things among you. Do we always have to take people to court? Now, isn't there a way that God's people can settle things? Now, we have insurance and health insurance and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's sometimes accidents can happen and so forth, and you have a legal right to be compensated for that which has been wrong to you. That's taught in the Old Testament. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're talking about is among God's people. Learning to settle. You see, babes in Christ, they're filled with envy and bitterness and jealousy, and they want to get at each other. And he said, you're not maturing in the Lord. You're not growing up. You're still acting like a babe in Christ. You're a carnal Christian, and you're not acting like a mature child of God, which is what God wants us to do. And this is so important. Now, look there at the next scripture, 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, before we get there, I want you to see this here in chapter 6. Because when we get to the Lord's Supper today, you know he talks about the Lord's body. The Lord's body. And we talk about the, the bread and we talk about the grape juice representing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And so we tied that into the, uh, the Passover that was done and uh, the Lord's Supper, the communion service that we have. But I want you to think for a second. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, did not your body become the Lord's body? Think about it. Did not your body become the Lord's body? While you're right here, look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. Look down there in verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look in verse 16. Now this is a little side road here we're going on. But it's good for you. It's good. Look at verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth where? In you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, whose temple ye are. Now, is your body the temple of God? So your body belongs to the Lord. And the Bible tells us, God can destroy this body. It means shortening your life, taking you out of here early. Can God allow the body to get sick? And for you to get weak? And for you to die? He said, well, whatever will be, will be. Yes, but it didn't have to be the way you think it is. Well, you know we're all going to die, but maybe God has to shorten our life a little bit. He says, many are weak, many are sick, and many are dead because of their disobedience. The Lord's body. You do not discern the Lord's body. Why are Christians living like this? Because you don't discern your body doesn't belong to you. That old sinful nature you have and that old sinful nature that I have, it's not to control this body. This body is the temple of God. It belongs to God. 
So I am supposed to discern this. Evidently, the way they were living and how they were judging and what they were saying and what they were doing was not discerning. This body is not mine. It belongs to God. Now look there in chapter 6. Look in chapter 6 and notice what he says. In verse 15, he says in verse 15, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, this body, and make them the members of a harlot? The answer is given. No. God forbid. So this body that belongs to God, should you take this body and join it to a harlot? It's wickedness. It's wrong. Do you not discern that this body that you have belongs to God? Should a Christian shack up with somebody and just live together? Is it right or is it wrong? You know it's wrong. I was talking the other day at a uh, roadside little bait shop. We had gone out and caught a couple fish and we came back. And there's a girl standing there, a woman standing there about 25 years old, and she was stranded. Her boyfriend left her. So she's standing there, came from up north somewhere. And I uh, walked up to her, and my grandson wanted me to talk to her, so I'm sure I'll talk to her. So I started talking to her. And I says, what's the problem? She said, well, he left me. I says, can I ask you another question? She said, yes. I said, have you been sleeping together? Yes. I says, do you know for certain where you're going to go when you die? She says, well, yeah, I know where I'm going. I says, where? She says, I'm going to hell. You know, most people say, well, I hope I'm going. I'm going to hell. And I explained the gospel to her. She trusts Christ as her Savior. And I says, now, as a child of God, you've got a choice. I says, you can make a choice to do right and serve God and he'll bless your life and reward you when you get to heaven or you can be rebellious I said but just still be his child and I said if you're rebellious God's going to have to chasten and discipline you I said now that's a choice I said now what choice do you think you ought to make should you obey your heavenly father who now loves you and he's your father and you're his child or should you become rebellious she said I should serve the Lord and tears to just to run and down her cheek. It was hot out there, and she's standing there, and I'm standing there, and it's, uh, it's hot. And we're standing on asphalt, and, and yet it was, it was a great moment. And I said, now, here's what you need to do. She told me where her parents were. I said, you need to call them up and say, Mama, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and I'm coming home. I said, that's what you need. And she says, I will. Now, whether she ever does or not, I don't know. But I'm not going to tell her. You know, if you don't straighten up, that's a sign you're not really saved. Now, I enjoy telling them what God says. Once you trust the Lord, you're God's child. But now, your body belongs to the Lord. Your body, my body, belongs to God. So this is the Lord's body. And look what he says here in verse 18. He says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without the body... Is without the body. But that which is, uh, he that committed fornication sinned against his own body. 
What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you have been bought with a the price, therefore glorify God in your body, which are and in your spirit, which are God. So your bodies is the Lord. Now, as you go through Corinthians, you're finding that God is chastening people because many are weak and some are sick and some are dead because they're not discerning the Lord's body. Why does a man live the way he lives when he's letting the lust of the flesh, the sins of life, control his body? To control what he does. And when the Lord says, you're not discerning the Lord's body. Now there's another body also called the body of believers. All of us is the body of believers. Do we discern the impact that we make in the lives of the body of Christ? Do we discern the body to realize that those who have trusted Christ as Savior are so important to the Lord? And because of who they are, they're God's children. We try to challenge and motivate God's children to grow in the Lord. So the last thing you would want to do is to cause any of God's children to stumble. The way you cause them to stumble over you is that you must fall. Look up here. I'm six foot tall. It would be a little difficult for you to stumble over me as long as I stand up. But if I fall, it's easy for you to stumble over me. The key for other believers is for you to stand tall and do right and keep walking with God. And not be a stumbling block to somebody who is weak. Because this idea about being weak is in the scriptures and it's very important. Look in chapter 8. Look in chapter 8. And look in verse 9, chapter 8 and verse 9. He says in verse 9, But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a, get this, stumbling block to them that are weak. So when we get to chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper, and it talks about the many are sick and many are weak and Many are dead throughout the boat. That's what it's talking about. And you're not discerning the Lord's body because you must have forgot something. Do you realize why Christ died? Because of how ugly and hateful sin is. And He died to pay for our sins because He loved us so much. Isn't there any love in us for the one who died to take away our sins? Is it the will of God that His children live in sin? That He died to remove us from? To take us away from? And He wants us to, as He says in His Word, that we should depart from iniquity. That's not what God wants us to do. God doesn't want His children living in sin. He died to free us from all of that. And to set you from that old sinful nature. And you let it control your life. And so whenever you take the Lord's Supper, do you understand? Do you discern not only His body and what He did and why He did it? But do you discern that my body is the body of the Lord? And discern this body belongs to Him. I'm not to take this body and misuse it in any way, shape, or form. It belongs to the Lord. Do you know if people would discern it, Christians would live a, a holier life, a more godly life. 
But when you don't do that and you don't think right and you don't think clear because you've got the flesh contaminating your life and you live like a lost man, as though the power of God has absolutely no control over your life. So he makes this statement here in verse 11 about not becoming a stumbling block. Look what he says in verse 11. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Do you understand that you not being strong, you cause other people to be weak? Because people follow people. People look for examples. Somebody looks up to you. Somebody has respect for you. And when you don't do right, and you're not faithful yourself, you're hurting those that look to you. And then he says in verse 12, But when you sin so against the brethren, and when their weak conscience, you sin against who? And then you take the Lord's Supper. Do you realize what you're doing? Do you discern what God is saying? It's not a game. There's a God in heaven that looks over His children. And He gives us, every one of us, personalized attention. And you can't just do whatever you want to do without consequences. There's a reason why God allows many to be sick and many to be weak and many to be dead. And you don't get to serve God the way you should. You never grew in the Lord. Just think of what it's going to cost you. When you get to heaven and all you have there is hay, wood, and stubble. Now, I know there's a few people, religions that teach, well, if you're really saved, you won't have any wood, hay, and stubble. But the Bible says differently. And then to live for all eternity without the gold, silver, and the precious stones, the rewards you could have had. You don't know and don't discern now what it's going to cost you because of rebellion and disobedience. So can a child of God rebel against God? Can a child of God walk in the flesh? Can a child of God live like a lost man? The Bible says, yes, he can. But is that the will of God? No, it's not the will of God for him. Now, take your Bible and turn to chapter 11. Taking us a while, but we finally got there. And so just to share a few of these thoughts down here with you. Look what he says here in verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever, we're still talking to believers. Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, it means you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're not discerning what's going on. How are you living for the Lord? Don't make a mockery. Don't make a mockery. Of the most precious thing that children of God can do, and that is partake of the Lord's Supper. When we partake of that bread, that's because He is the manna from heaven, the bread of heaven. He says, you did eat bread in the wilderness, that manna, and they're all dead. But he that eats this bread has eternal life. And it's a picture of what Christ did on the cross for us. He used His body to bear our sins, and He paid for our sins so that He could forgive us of everything we've ever done. And so when we believe that, we're forgiven. I'm going to heaven because I'm a forgiven man. And I remember that. He paid for my sins. Not that I could spend the rest of my life living in sin, but that I, as a child of God, could go to heaven. And yes, I should grow in the Lord. 
I'm not sinless, but I should sin less. There is a story there. And then when you talk about the blood of Christ, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. An innocent life has to be given to pay for the guilty. He was innocent. The just for the unjust. Now, if you can discern that, now discern the rest. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, your body became the temple of God. And so he makes a statement here in verse 28. Let a man examine his neighbor. Let a man examine everybody else. No, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily without judgment, without discerning what's going on, he says, eateth and drinketh damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Many of God, he didn't say a few, many of God's children. I would venture to say that most of God's children never served God. Most of God's children. They'll take the free gift of eternal life, and yes, they'll go to heaven. But there's going to be a handful, a few, that will understand and discern it and dedicate their life to serving God. And they'll serve God all their life. But a lot of God's children never will. They'll never reach their potential of what they could have done for the Lord. Because you've got that old sinful nature and he lies to you, he deceives you, and calls you to walk as a rebellious child of God. Still a child, carly minded, and yes, saved, but... Um, wasting your life away, and just gaining more wood, hay, and stubble. And so that's why some people just can't believe you can be saved and do those things, so that means they have to change the gospel. Well, if you want to get saved, you're going to have to commit your life to Christ. You're going to have to promise to serve Him, so that you don't do these things. No, you accept Christ as your Savior. He gives you eternal life, and God wants you after that to dedicate your life to serving Him. Not because you have to, but because... He wants you to. You see there in verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, well, why would you have to do that if it's automatic? If you're going to automatically persevere in the faith, you don't have to do this. But it's in here. Because these are still God's children. They're just not doing all the things that they should do. Now, I realize we may even have a few people like that here. You may have already trusted Christ as your Savior, and you're not walking as God wants you to. You're not living the way God wants you to live. And you should know and understand that because you're God's child, God's going to, he's going to beat the tar out of you. Do you understand that? You can't get away with it. There's consequences. But if you will confess that to the Lord, and as a Christian, yes, you should forsake sin and serve God, then God will bless your life. And who knows what might be down the road for you. This is so important. Look up here. Letting this hand represent you and me. The wall represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. And the reason he came into the world was to pay for sin. Because, see, to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, and we're not. we got all this sin. And God says you cannot save yourself. There's nothing you can do to pay for this sin except death. So Christ, this hand representing Christ, came into the world because he loved us, hates our sin, so he took the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead, and said that if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. 
And that's the best news in the world. It's a free gift. God offers you eternal life. If you accept it, you have eternal life. And the reason I can't go to hell today or tomorrow is because I don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of my sins. The penalty for my sins are paid. And he has forgiven me. This is why it's so very important. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you're here and have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died, paid for my sins, and I'm going to trust him right now as my only hope of going to heaven. And friend, if you will, God says he would save you and give you eternal life. Would you believe it? And I'm not going to have you forward. I just want to make sure that you understand what I've said. And I like to know, and I like to have prayer for you. Is there anyone all this morning say, yes, I will trust Christ, and I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down? Just slip your hand up very quickly. Anyone at all? Say, that made sense to me. I will trust Christ as my Savior. If you're watching by Internet, just trust Christ as Savior right where you are. All you have to do is believe it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Our Father, thank you so much for this time together and bless in this moment that we share here at the Lord's table, the divine table, a table that we remember what you did for us. And we pray, Lord, that we'll apply it to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.